0: and welcome everyone it's just always so good to see your faces I'm just uh, thrilled that we're here together Um, let me just say this Um, this this passage I'm gonna preach this morning it's tough it's a tough one and if I rush through it I'm gonna do a really bad job so hopefully you don't have anywhere to go Um, because uh, we're running a couple of minutes later. It's been a great day already. I won't dawdle, but I am not going to rush. Uh, so everybody take a deep breath and enjoy it. Like three weeks ago, I drove my son Adam out to uh, Wyoming, where he, it's a long stinking way to Wyoming. If you haven't driven that drive, it is a long way. One of the benefits, though, is that you hit uh, states, country states, like and the speed limit is um, 80 miles an hour on the freeway, which in my book means you can go 90, 89, 90, yeah. I believe in grace. And so um, I, didn't see a, I didn't even see a policeman for 360 miles across South Dakota. And two-lane roads in Wyoming, the speed limit's 70. Uh, you don't want to drift over the other lane if you're driving in Wyoming. Have you ever been pulled over by a police officer and you're speeding or done something and your first response is you want to argue with him? You know, you want to state your case, uh, Oh, contraire, mon frere, this is not what happened. Uh, or uh, you, don't know, you don't know what a big deal I am or who I am or you want to pull me over. Um, but... Ten years ago, I was driving through Coral, Spir- um, uh, Coral Springs, um, my dad's little town where he used to live, Green Cove Springs. Thanks, Kath. I can see her mouth in the words down here. She's trying to help me. Green Cove Springs. It's just this little nothing town, uh, and um, it's just outside where my dad was and mom were living, and I don't know. I drove down to see him and drove home early one morning, left really early trying to get back here. Um, About two, three weeks later, I was uh, just minding my own business at home, and I got this official-looking letter in the mail. And uh, in the letter from Green Cove Springs was a ticket uh, for me running a stop. And they had a picture of the front of my car. They had a picture of the back of my car. They had a picture of my smiling face with a red light. And at that point, there's no arguing. You know, there's no like, oh, I I didn't do it, or it wasn't me, or I think your machine was a little off, or, you know, maybe your eyesight. I mean, you just, at some point, you just have to write the check and pay the ticket. Today, we're going to see in Ezekiel that on a much grander scale, it's the day has come. The day has come for the nation of Israel for them to pay the price for their transgressions, to pay the price for their sin. The young priest Ezekiel has been visited by God. He is 700 miles from Jerusalem, he's a couple hundred miles from the capital city of Babylon, he's been carried off into captivity by the Babylonians, he's sitting by, he's in a refugee camp by the Kabar River or canal, depending on how it reads, and he is given the job of being a watchman, a prophet to the exiles. Uh, Last week, Gabriel did a great job of talking about our position, so to speak, as people of God and as watchmen in this day and age to to carry forth the gospel to all people groups. And this is who uh, Ezekiel is, what he's been called to do. He has been called as a prophet to the exiles. But the reason they're in exile is because of their sin. And they probably are sitting there thinking, okay, we're going to be in exile a while. We're going to go back. Things are going to be normal. Things are going to be okay. Um, We just have to get through this little rough patch, and things will come back to us. But really what Ezekiel is going to proclaim to them is, this, it's going to get much worse before it gets better. Much, much worse. And the reason it's going to get much worse is because of the sin of the nation of Israel over a long period of time when God has continually tried to call them back to himself. They've continued to press forward in their sin, our sin, and now the bill has come due. The ticket has, it has arrived, and this is the time. Now, I am covering four chapters of Ezekiel, four, five, six, and 7. So hopefully you read it. I'm going to summarize it. I'm going to give you a picture. I've got some props because Ezekiel was really big on props. And so I'm going to show, give you some props a little bit, not quite as dramatic as Ezekiel. Remember, he's doing it over a couple of year period of time. I'm doing it in 25 minutes or less. So hopefully I'm going to give you a summary. I encourage you to go read it. But when you read it, I want you to read it with these things in mind. The nation of Israel has sinned continually over a long period of time. God has continually uh, given grace to them. He's continued to reach out to them. He's continued to move in their midst, and they've continually rejected him. And everything Ezekiel is going to say to the people of God today is, this is not somebody, bad people meaning, doing this to you. God is on the move. God is in control. Everything that's happening now and going to happen in the days ahead on the judgment and wrath of God being released on you is God. He's doing this. Now, let me tell you, people, this is a tough word. This is a tough word about sin and the wrath of God, and you can start applying it to our nation. I know that the United States, we say, I've said it every week, the United States is not the nation of Israel. We are not the people of Israel we're not the people of God in my view the church is the people of God so God's judgment begins in the house of God which is not a really encouraging word either right Uh, I mean sometimes it it should just shake us to say God does not view sin lightly at the same time God's judgment was still pronounced on pagan nations as well I mean Jonah was told to go to Nineveh it was not a godly nation, and say, "Hey, your sin is not gone unrecognized by God." So don't think that America is don't don't dismiss, so to speak, the wrath of God and the judgment of God coming on America. if we want to say that our country is not a is not the nation of Israel, I'm, I know I'm t- I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but I just I, I don't want us to dismiss that God very well may turn His judgment. If our country continues on the path. But let's look at this passage and talk about it. So first of all, let's look at some prophetic pictures and messages that um, he's going to give. The first is this. Uh, In chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, he talks about a toy city and an iron pan. So the toy city is this. He gets a brick. God tells him to take a brick and to draw on it uh, a map. A replication of the nation of Israel. I mean, excuse me, of the city of Jerusalem. And it could have been a clay tablet. It could have been a brick. It's it's hard to exactly translate what it is. So he's got this brick. And then to set ramparts around it. In other words, a siege of the city. And then he says, take an iron pan I got a little one because I didn't want to hold a big one up for very long. Honestly, they're heavy. I don't know if you think so, but I didn't want to hold it up long. He says, take an iron pan and put it in front of your face so that you can't see the toy city. And And he's saying, God is saying, I am here, but I am hiding my face from what's going on a scary message god sees it god is making it clear i'm in control what's happening here is within my purview but i'm not going to view it i have seen and i am turning my face i'm blocking my view from seeing what's going to happen god is making it clear he's in control the enemy that is taking over the city is not the enemy God is saying, I have turned my wrath on you. Then, Ezekiel has this long layout. This long layout. God says to him in chapter 4, verses 4 through 8, Lie down on your left side, presumably with your face towards the brick. I don't know if you can continue to see the brick. But presumably with your face toward the brick. There's, some, there's a lot of these passages we don't exactly know. Uh, we're having to read into them a little bit, and I don't want to read into too much. But he says, I want you to lay on your left side for 390 days. 390 days. Now, let me just say this. I know the first thing you're thinking. 390 days, if you're like, I said this to my kids, two things. One, first question, how do you go to the bathroom? He's on his side for 390 days. How did that work? Well, first, and the second one is I got a new nurse in my house, and she's like, you know, you got bed sores. Uh, they, we got to move a patient every two hours so they don't get those pressure sores. Yeah, honey, I understand. Presumably, he wasn't like on his side for the entire 390 days. It doesn't say. Maybe God miraculously provided. We, we don't know. It doesn't say, but probably he was on his side for a period of time during the day prophesying, and then went home and night, came back the next day. But he's to do it for 390 days. Then he's to turn on the other side, presumably away from the brick, and to lay there for 40 days. Now, combined, we have a total of... Thank you for your math people. Four, I just wanted to make sure you're listening well. 430 days he's laying on one side and then another. And everything we think about these 430 days is presumed. We understand that a day represents a year, but we don't know exactly what the years stand for. He doesn't make it clear. It's because of the nation's sin, but we don't know, do the 390 days and the 40 days, the 430, do they in total represent the history of the nation of Israel? In other words, some people have done some studies and say from the time the temple was built and... Solomon dedicated the temple and the glory of the Lord comes on the temple until today, now, it's been about 430 years. So these days representing years could be the history of the nation of Israel and their continued sin, even though God's presence was in their midst for 430 days. Others have said that maybe the 430 days represents the amount of time they were in captivity in Egypt. Those are the two most predominant explanations for the length of time. But whatever the case, it is a dramatic statement to the people about their sin and how God has appealed to them over long periods of time, either what God did in Egypt by delivering them from their captivity then or their history as a nation. (coughs) Excuse me. So the 390 and 40-40 represents a lot of things in um, the nation, and so I'm not going to get into all the numeric symbolism, because we, we're just speculating. But it's a long time. And for part of that time, he has his arm bared, like pointed out to the nation. For part of the time, he's tied up. I mean, it's a very dramatic presentation of preaching to the people over and over. And they, can you imagine the people coming by? The, there he is. He's on his left side. He's preaching. Oh, well, he's got his arms tied up. Oh, he flipped over today. You know, he's on his right side. We're well, not that long. That's gonna, you know, this. They, he, he, it's a very dramatic presentation. And during this time, uh, he he's told to eat some bad bread. Now I'm calling it bad bread. Um, anybody ever uh, eaten Ezekiel bread? Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you're here, Trace, because I want to talk to you about this bread. Um, it even says on mine, Ezekiel 4.9. This is where they get the recipe for this bread, Ezekiel 4.9, the, the, what, what goes into it. Now, personally, I think it tastes a little bit like the cardboard on top of those communion things we're sending you. You know, those uh, prepared cardboard. Uh, let me just also say, we eat it for health reasons. Ezekiel ate it as a sign of the judgment of God. That should tell you something, right? That's the kind of bread it is. Not only that, but I want to know if you went ahead and read in verses like 12 and 15, how this was supposed to be cooked. Um, If you read those passages, in verse 12 it says, uh, cook the bread over human poop, over human excrement. To which Ezekiel even says, oh God, no. No. Even Ezekiel says, "No, I don't want to do that." So God relents and says, "Okay, you can do it over cow dung. I don't know if your bread is baked over cow dung, but that all I want to say is, why why eat bread that's seen as a judgment of God? Now I, I understand it's a health, health thing, but he's to eat this bread while he's uh, undergoing this this time and again, it is to represent the, the lack of food and the lack and the hunger that the nation is going to experience as a part of God's judgment. Moving forward, he then is told to uh, shave in a haircut. Bang, 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 for those of you who are. And, he, and God says, take a sword, a sharp sword. Look, if you're going to shave with a sword, it better be sharp, right? So take a sword. Somebody was asking me this morning, where would you get the sword? I'm like, you know, we have people give my boys swords. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, we, we have some crazy people in our church and friends who, praise yeah, praise God. I've, this is like one of three or four swords I had to choose from that are still left in my house. So, yeah, give the Brookings teenage boys swords. That's really, uh, it's amazing any of us survived in, to this point. But anyway, God says to Ezekiel, take a sword. Now, he's been laying around for, you know, over a year. So his beard is long. His hair is long. God says, shave your beard and your hair off. And then he says to him, now, I want you to weigh it out, your hair, into three different portions. I want you to put a third on the toy city and burn it up. And then I want you to take a third and you chop it up outside the city. Put it, spread it around the city and chop it up. And again, I would love to be there to see this crazy guy just burning and chopping and, and preaching. The and then he says, take a third and throw it to the wind. And he said, the third represents the number of the people that are going to die when the city is overrun. The second third is going to be those that are outside the city that are going to be destroyed when the armies come. And the third third, the ones that are scattered to the wind, are going to represent the people that are going to be lost to the nations, that are going to be carried off into captivity and just lost. Then he says, okay, what I want you to do is take the hair off the sword that's left. So wipe the sword down and gather up a little bit and put it in the fold of your garment. That's going to represent the remnant that I'm going to keep safe. And oh, by the way, take a little bit of the hair out of your fold and put them in a fire because those people aren't going to ever come back when they get carried off. So of all, think of it. All of Ezekiel's hair, a third has been cast to the wind. A third has been burned in the fire. A third has been chopped up by the sword. And just kind of what's left on the sword is what God is going to keep around. His judgment has been pronounced on the nation of Israel. And then he tells him, preach to the mountains turn to the mountains not the people and preach to the mountains and the mountains in the nation of israel those represented you, you, if you read i'm i'm reading through the bible in the chronological bible i'm reading kings and chronicles and they they talk about these kings about how they serve god but they didn't tear down the high places and the high places are those places really Represented in the mountains where they would do pagan or idol worship. And he says, preach to the mountains that this is the time. Judgment has come. Those high places are going to be judged. They're going to be destroyed. And in God, God in chapter 6, he's prophesying through Ezekiel. And at every point in this, four times at least in this chapter, he says... And you will know that I am the Lord. And they will know I am the Lord. They will know I am the Lord. They will know I am the Lord. This judgment that's coming on the nation of Israel, he's saying to them, I gave you every stinking chance to come back to me. Over and over again, I've done miraculous things in your midst. Over and over again, I brought nations against you and then delivered you. Over and over again, I've called you to the... To be my people. And over and over again you've rejected me. So now this is what's going to happen. This is the judgment. My wrath is being poured out on this nation. And you're going to know. I am the Lord. I don't know about you. But I like to know that the Lord is the Lord by when I get healed when I was sick. When something happens good in my family. When something bad goes down. I'm not sure that most of the time I look at it and say. There's God. But sometimes God is in the middle of the storm. It was God who sent Joseph down to Egypt. It was God who did. God is in control. God is on the move. And that's what he wants the nation of Israel to see. And then he comes to chapter 7. And in chapter 7. He's going to say the same thing basically three times with some minor changes and expanding a little bit. Scholars call these like panels or segments. So I'm only going to read you what's called the middle panel or segment out of chapter 7 because he's repeating himself and expanding it a little bit. They're all different and they're all spectacular, but I just want to read you the middle one because it gives you the idea. And here's what it says. This is what the sovereign Lord says. And listen, when he's speaking this, it, my understanding, I'm not a Hebrew expert. I should have consulted with Dave about it a little more, but I'm not a Hebrew expert. But these aren't even complete sentences. They're just pounding words or pounding statements about what God is saying to the nation. So he said, This is what the sovereign Lord says disaster, an unheard of disaster is coming. The end has come. The end has come. It has roused itself against you. It has come. Doom has come upon you, you who dwell in the land. The time has come, the day is near, there is panic, not joy upon the mountains. I'm about to pour out my wrath on you and spend my anger against you. I will judge you according to your conduct and repay you for all your detestable practices. I will not look on you with pity or spare you. I will repay you in accordance with your conduct and the detestable practices among you, then you will know that it is the I, the Lord, who strikes the blow. It's a dramatic passage that speaks of the wrath of God being directed against the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah. It, it, it follows in chapters 4 through 6 plagues and famines and swords and gold and silver are going to be worthless and there's going to be Uh, chaos and chains that are going to come against the people. This whole chapter is very dramatic. And then he closes in verse 27 with almost the same sentence again. He says this, I will deal with them according to what? Their conduct. And this is the scary, I mean, this is the scary, one of the scariest phrases to me in the Bible. And by their own standards, I will judge them. Then... They will know I am the Lord. What do we take from all of this? What do we take? I'm going to just give you real quick just a couple of points about I, that I believe we need to hear. First of all, is that sin is serious. Sin is serious. We live in an age where we are presented with the idea that sin is not that big a deal. You know, even within the church, we love the grace message. Oh, you know, God's grace, it is so great. Yeah, it's awesome. But I'm going to talk about why it's so awesome in just a minute. But sin, God takes very seriously. The enemy is constantly coming at us to try and say to us, did God really say This is that bad? And, you know, he started in the Garden of Eden with this same process. To where Eve said, well, God said this. She starts making up, expanding on what God said. And and the enemy just comes directly against what God says. And says, if you eat of it, you will not surely die. God had said, if you eat of this fruit, you're going to die. And the enemy comes against and says, you'll not surely die. It's not that big a deal. We are constantly faced with this culture that we live in that you can do whatever you want. Sin is really not that big a deal. God says something very different. That sin is deceptive and it will be dealt with. Which leads me to the second point, which is sin will be judged. Sin will be judged. Ezekiel 7, 9 says, then you will know that it is I, the Lord, who strikes the blow. You know, in the Bible, there are these compound names of God, like um, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Makedesh, Jehovah. We've got a bunch of different compound names. This is one of the compound names of God. Uh, I don't pronounce it right. I tried to learn it the other day with Dave, and I still couldn't pronounce it, but uh, Je- uh, Jehovah um, Micaiah. It's Jehovah like this Jehovah Micaiah is how you might transliterate it. And it means God who strikes the blow. I am the God who smiteth. <laughs> when we were younger, um, we were new to the charismatic movement, we loved these compound names of God. You know, I know we had a poster in the office with all the compound names. Jehovah Jireh, uh, Jehovah Shama, Jehovah, you know, the whole, all the good things. Nowhere on this poster did I ever see I am the God that smiteth. I mean, we even had those songs. Uh, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I love that little rhyme too, by the way. Jehovah Jireh, my provider. His grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. I never heard, Jehovah Maka, God who smiteth his wrath is going to get you and you and you. You know, we never came to the charismatic, yeah, I love it. He's the God that smiteth. I am the God who smiteth thee. I am the Lord your smiter. Uh, You know, we never got those kind kind of songs, did we? We don't like that idea of the judgment of God unleashed on sin. We want to overlook it. But the Bible is clear that the wrath of God is being turned against sin. Paul spends a lot of time in Romans giving us this, where he says the wrath of God. You know, when I studied Romans, by the way, I'm going to keep moving forward, but when I studied Romans in seminary, The wrath of God, the whole idea, offended me. You know what I mean? Why should we see God as a wrathful, angry God? Well, God's wrath is turned toward sin. He can't do any otherwise. He's a holy, righteous God. And he says from the Garden of Eden, if you do this, you'll surely die. That's how serious I take sin. And Paul comes back to it in Romans 118 and says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. He goes on and says in Romans 623. For the wages of sin is what? Death. It's, it's the wrath of God being turned against sin. It results in death. His wrath is turned against all ungodliness and wickedness. And yet we take it lightly, sin. And we don't believe judgment. We believe we can just stand before God and say, hey, I, I'm a pretty big deal. I, I, I have some excuses For why I did what I did. And God has come against the nation of Israel and says, when all this takes place, all of this picturesque language of judgment, you'll know that I'm God. And here's one of the dangers. And sin is contagious. Sin is Contagious. If one person gets away with one thing and then another person hears about it, they start getting away with it. And the next thing you know, everybody's doing it, right? And then we as a culture say, it's got to be okay because everybody's doing it. Oh, listen to me, people. We see it over and over again. God's Word doesn't say X, Y, Z. And even if it does... Look, everybody around us is doing it. You know why everybody's doing it? Because it's contagious. Sin is. Listen, I I am so embarrassed. I I can't even give you examples, and I refuse to. But of stupid things I did as a teenager and a young adult, as a male, that I honestly would have never done if I hadn't been with a group of other stupid males. I mean, I would have never done some of the things I did by myself. Honestly, and I, I wasn't really a bad person. Yeah, here I'm excusing my behavior, right? It's our natural response. You know, really, compared to some of these other thing- people, I was pretty good. But honestly, you know, the old saying, if, uh, if one teenage boy has half a brain, two teenage boys have no brain at all. It, it is really true. Because we end up doing things together we would have never done by ourselves. Why? Because sin is stinking contagious. And I don't think girls are exempt. I just can't speak from that perspective. Although I have I have daughters who are wonderful, by the way. But <laughs> friends matter, too, by the way. This is not a, a, a thing on who you hang out with, but it could be. But the nation of Israel, here's, here's my point. I'm digressing and going on too long. We think of sin as an individual activity. And I want to say this to us, sin is a community activity. Sin, it is us. Ezekiel could have stood back and said, You know, I'm surely going to be one of these hares because I'm not a bad guy. I, I, I'm surely going to be one who gets tucked in the fold and gets to return because I'm not a bad guy. But sin is a community activity, it will be judged, it is contagious. Here's, here's the good news. Sin is defeated. Sin has been defeated. Now, you may look at this passage and you say, I, I don't see that in 4, 5, 6, and 7. You've got to hang on for Ezekiel to give us some hope. Ezekiel is a long book with a lot of things going to take place. But after the judgment comes, it turns into a book of hope for the future. That God is going to do some stuff. Sin is serious. Sin will be judged. But God has provided a way. Here's what Paul says in Romans 3. When he talks about the wrath of God. And how none are going to be spared. And God has revealed himself. But he says he flips it. And then he gives us that but now statement. That changes everything where he says, but now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been known to which the law and the prophets, including Ezekiel, testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Uh, This is where the grace comes in and the message of hope rings throughout the ages is that yes, God's wrath is turned against all ungodliness and sin and yes, the wages of sin is death and yes, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Therefore, we all deserve the wrath of God and we deserve death. But now, a righteousness from God has been revealed. A righteousness that comes through Jesus by faith. Because God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is that what we should be proclaiming. Yes, if I look around the nation of America right now, I'm like, how in the world can God's wrath not come? How, you know, from my perspective, I'm like, how can God's wrath not be poured out on this country in the direction we're going and with all the sin we're doing, how we're justified and it's fine and do this and do that? We're so afraid to even talk about sin for being judged. But now we have the gospel, the good news. We could be out proclaiming sin, holding up signs, hey, all homosexuals are going to hell kind of signs. But instead, why aren't we holding up the signs that say the wrath of God has been turned on Jesus, now you can have hope. Because the wrath of God is going to play out. There's no avoiding the wrath of God. You can choose, though, that the wrath of God, you can receive it on yourself, or you can receive the provided lamb of god who took away the sins of the world he took our sinself and we have the choice to either receive jesus who the wrath of god has been poured out on and all these things that ezekiel points out about the god that smiteth who did he strike down who did he smite he he struck down his only son god died on that cross so that his wrath could be taken, sort of, I hate to say, it, appeased, but that's the biblical word. It's taken care of so that I don't have to receive the wrath of God on myself. The message of Ezekiel is heavy, it is, it is a message of judgment, it is a message of wrath, but there is the message of hope that rings through the Bible because of this message of judgment that God has provided a way. That in Christ alone, who took on flesh, the fullness of God was revealed in Jesus as a helpless babe. He's the gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to say. Till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin, every one of my sins, every one of your sins, every one of our sins was laid upon him. Past, present, and future. So that here in the love of Christ, I can live. This morning, I want, I want you to reflect. Have I justified sin in my life? Am I allowing it to just say it's no big deal and living with it? Am I, have I become, a, we're so concerned with this virus and how contagious it is. I've got to tell you, the virus has nothing on sin. It is much more contagious. We need the love of Christ, the righteousness of God to prevail in our hearts and our lives these days. Reflect on your own life. Receive the truth that God loved you so much he sent his own son to die for you so that that wrath could be turned on him and not on me. Lord, I pray right now this morning that your, your truth would prevail in our hearts and our lives today. God, we thank you. <clears throat> we thank you for your provision in Jesus. Lord, we can only begin to even grasp the severity of our own sin. We can only begin to get some minor glimpse of the, of the way you view sin. Because we're so sinful, we don't even see sin as a problem. And instead, we just kind of justify it. But Lord, I pray today, thanking you that now we can be made right with you, O God, even though we're sinful beings because your wrath was poured out on your son. So Lord, on this Father's Day, may you bring us back to a place of understanding and and reception. I pray for anyone who's here today who has not received you, Jesus, as the one who leads their life and forgives their sins. Because, Lord, today, if they haven't, your wrath is on them. Death is imminent. Judgment is going to come. But instead, Lord... The gospel of grace is here for us. And so, Lord, today we say thank you. As we close this time of worship, stand up with me and let's just, let's sing the gospel. Let's sing the gospel of hope. Let's sing the gospel of life. Let's receive the truth that we have been made right with God through Christ alone.